Hi, I'm Adrian, the host of She's So Cool, a female empowerment podcast. This show is for listeners who want to learn about strong and influential women. Welcome to She's So Cool, where you will hear the life stories of female changemakers each week. Each woman's story will inspire you to embrace who you are, love yourself fiercely, and pursue your dreams. In the She's So Cool spirit of empowering and celebrating women, I just want to take a quick moment to give a shout out to my sister, who officially launched her business today. She's the founder of Velvet Sun Vintage, a fun and funky vintage shop curated to bring the magic of the past to modern day women around the world. Any woman who has started a passion project from the ground up knows how much work truly goes into it behind the scenes. When women support each other pursuing their dreams, amazing things can happen. So if you're a vintage lover, you should check out her shop at velvetsunvintage.com and on Instagram at velvetsunvintage. I'll have links to both in the show notes. This episode was chosen by Mandy Antonucci, the winner of my Galentine's Day giveaway on Instagram. As the winner, she got to choose the woman featured on the 10th episode. She also got her very own She's So Cool t-shirt and a beautiful print of Ruth Bader Ginsburg by Bailey Phelps a female artist from Boston. Mandy is an art teacher and artist who just started an art series titled Heroes for Her, which features strong, brave, and powerful role models for her 12-year-old daughter. Mandy told me that she and her daughter are both listeners of the show, saying, I'm so happy to find a podcast that we can both listen to, be inspired by, and talk about. The fact that my show is bringing mothers and daughters together brings me so much joy. Thanks for listening, ladies. If you're interested in seeing Bailey and Mandy's art, I'm going to post links to their websites and Instagram accounts in the show notes. During the giveaway, RBG's personal trainer, Bryant Johnson, reached out to me and offered to give the winner a signed copy of his RBG workout book and a Super Diva shirt, which Ruth herself wears during her workouts. I asked Mandy and Bryant to say a few words, and I'm going to share them with you now before we jump into the episode. My name is Mandy Antonucci, and I'm an artist living in Geneseo, New York. Growing up in the 80s and 90s, I always searched for heroines that weren't the magazine cutout of cultural perfection. I was drawn to women who were trying to make a real difference in the world, women who use their position to pioneer positive change, women like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I was drawn to her quiet yet authoritative demeanor, that she was in a position to make powerful choices and changes, which was especially rare for a woman in the 90s. She was the first role model that made me feel empowered and inspired as a teenage girl trying to navigate the world. Now, as a parent, I appreciate her effect on the world even more, from her tireless impact on women's rights and equality, her ability to be both a successful mother and a Supreme Court justice, and the dignified and powerful way in which she speaks and carries herself. I'm forever grateful for the impact she has made for future generations. Not only will my daughter grow up in a world in which she has more equal footing and rights, but she sees that women can be a powerful voice of change. And she was lucky enough to see that firsthand when, after waiting in line for two hours on an unseasonably warm day in Washington, D.C. last February, we had the amazing privilege of seeing a U.S. Supreme Court case in action. I will never forget the look of wonder and awe on my daughter's face as we left down the iconic stairs and she turned to me and said, Ruth Bader Ginsburg really is notorious. I want to be just like her. And I thought to myself, 
Thanks to her, you can. Mandy's story brought tears to my eyes the first time I heard it. Not only have I learned so much about these incredible women as a result of doing this podcast, but it has connected me with so many of my amazing listeners. Bryant has been training with Ruth for 20 years, and he has a short inspirational message for us. The one thing that I can say is that the justice hopes that her workout will inspire others to work out. When people think about the justice and you think about being a Supreme Court justice, the chance of somebody becoming a Supreme Court justice is probably slim and none. You have a better chance of becoming a professional athlete. But when you see her work out, that brings a human side to her. And now that inspires everyone. If she can do it, you can do it. So remember, just show up. In order to do right, you got to get right. On this episode, you will learn about the struggles and successes of the Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Although many people refer to her as Justice Ginsburg or RBG, I will be calling her Ruth, the name she has gone by for most of her life throughout the episode. Have you ever been treated like a secondhand citizen? Has your career path ever been negatively impacted as a result of starting a family? Or have others ever questioned your ability to do your job based solely on your gender? These are all things Ruth has struggled with, and I'm here to share her story so we can learn how she became the legendary women's rights litigator that she is. In this episode, I will examine Ruth's incredible work ethic, the loving relationship she shared with her late husband, and her experiences with and views on sexism. Before researching for this episode, I knew that Ruth is a Supreme Court justice who's also famous for working out in her 80s. If you haven't seen her segment on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, check the show notes for the link. It's definitely worth watching. She was born Joan Ruth Bader in Brooklyn, New York during the Great Depression in 1933. She's the daughter of the late Celia Amster and Nathan Bader. She had an older sister named Marilyn who died of meningitis at the age of six. Before passing away, Marilyn gave Ruth the nickname Kiki because she was a Kiki baby. As a child, Ruth said that she loved to do things that boys did like climbing up garage roofs and leaping from one to the next. Being the daughter of Jewish immigrants, she was a first-generation American on her father's side and barely a second-generation on her mother's. Her mother was denied a college education because she was a woman, leading her to teach Ruth the value of a good education. In 1993, Ruth said, Neither of my parents had the means to attend college, but both taught me to love learning, to care about people, and to work hard for whatever I wanted or believed in. Growing up, her mother told her two things constantly. One was to be a lady, and the other was to be independent. When Ruth was about 13 years old, her mother was diagnosed with cervical cancer and died the day before Ruth graduated from high school. She said it was one of the most trying times in her life, but she knew that her mother would want her to study hard, get good grades, and succeed in life. So that's what she did. Ruth began her undergraduate studies at Cornell University in the fall of 1950. While she was in college, she had a government professor who wanted her to see that the United States was straying from its most basic values and that there were lawyers who were defending the rights of Americans to think, speak, and write freely. So she decided that being a lawyer would allow her to do something that would make our society better. During her first semester at Cornell, she never went on any second dates. She once said, Cornell was a preferred school for daughters. In those days, there was a strict quota for women. There were four men to every woman. So for parents, Cornell was the ideal place to send a girl. If she couldn't find her man there, she was hopeless. This statement was followed by a smile on her face and many laughs by the people in the audience. Although many perceive her to be a relatively reserved and serious person, 
She can be quite funny when she wants to be. Soon after arriving at Cornell, a 17-year-old Ruth was set up on a blind date with an 18-year-old Martin Ginsburg, who usually went by Marty. She once said, There was something amazingly wonderful about this man. He was the first boy I ever knew who cared that I had a brain. Most guys in the 50s didn't. According to Carr Ferguson, one of Marty's closest friends and Cornell classmates, Marty was able to woo and win Ruth over by convincing her how much he respected her. She married Marty after she obtained her degree in government from Cornell in 1954. Her family initially had reservations about her becoming a lawyer, but when she married Marty, they said, if she wants to be a lawyer, let her try. If she can't succeed, she will have a husband to support her. Marty was an ROTC officer in the Army Reserve, and soon after they got married, he was called up for active duty and stationed in Fort Sill, Oklahoma. During this time, Ruth worked as a qualified claims adjuster for the Social Security Administration. When she mentioned that she was three months pregnant, her government rank was decreased, leading her to make less money and have less responsibility. She gave birth to her daughter, Jane Carroll Ginsburg, in July of 1955. The next year, Ruth enrolled in Harvard Law School as one of nine women in a class of 500. While at the dean's famous dinner, he asked each of the women to stand up and tell him what they were doing taking a spot in law school that could be occupied by a man. She later said, The study of law was unusual for women of my generation. For most girls growing up in the 1940s, the most important degree was not your BA, but your MRS. Being one of the only women, she said, You felt in class as if all eyes were on you, and that if you didn't perform well, you would be failing not only for yourself, but for all women. During her first year of law school, she was a married mother with a 14-month-old child. She said that playing with Jane gave her a respite from the work she was doing in law school, which helped to keep her sane. During her second year, she became the first female member of the prestigious legal journal, the Harvard Law Review. Arthur Miller, a fellow Harvard classmate, said that in order to make the law review in those days, you had to be in the top 25 academically, out of 530 or 540 students. That same year, Marty was diagnosed with testicular cancer. She took care of him as he underwent treatment, staying up late typing his notes from his classmates and reading whatever cases she needed for the next day, getting about two hours of sleep each night. According to her daughter, she has continued a similar rigorous work routine, saying that she'll work late into the night, until five in the morning and sometimes even later. When Marty graduated in 1958, he accepted a job at a firm in New York. Since Ruth was a year behind him, she transferred to Columbia Law School, where she finished at the top of her class. Decades later, she said, When I graduated from Columbia Law School in 1959, not a law firm in the entire city of New York would employ me. Being a woman was an impediment. In 1963, she became the first woman to teach full-time at Rutgers School of Law, receiving a lower salary than her male colleagues. The dean explained that it was only fair to pay her modestly since her husband already had a very good job. She helped other female professors file a federal class action pay discrimination claim against the university, which they won. Two years after starting her job at Rutgers, Ruth hid her second pregnancy, out of fear of being demoted or penalized like she was when she had Jane. In 1965, she gave birth to her son, James Stephen Ginsburg, and published her first book about civil procedures after spending time studying in Sweden. In 1971, she co-founded the Women's Rights Project of the American Civil Liberties Union, which was widely recognized as the group advocating for interests of women in the United States Supreme Court. The next year, Ruth left Rutgers to become the first female tenured professor at Columbia Law School, where her daughter is currently a professor of literary and artistic property law. 
Ruth calls 1972 the year of the woman in legal academia, because that's when law schools started scrambling to add women to their faculties. Wendy Williams, a contributor in Ruth's 2016 autobiography, titled My Own Words, said, Marching and demonstrating just wasn't Ruth's thing. Her thing was to use the skills she had and put them to work, and those were her legal skills. It was in the 1970s that Ruth began to argue gender discrimination cases before the Supreme Court, winning five of six landmark cases she took before the court. She also published more than 25 legal articles that chronicled and critiqued gender equality laws, earning the title The Thurgood Marshal of the Women's Movement. In her autobiography, she wrote, It was my good fortune to be in the right place at the right time, able to participate in the effort to place women's rights permanently on the human rights agenda in the United States. In 1980, President Jimmy Carter appointed Ruth to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit. This time, Ruth and Marty relocated for her job. Over a decade later, he said, I've been supportive of my wife since the beginning of time, and she has been supportive of me. It's not sacrifice, it's family. In 1993, President Bill Clinton appointed Ruth to the Supreme Court, making her the second female Supreme Court justice after Sandra Day O'Connor. Marty had been the one to campaign for Ruth to be on the short list of candidates for the position. When she met with President Clinton at the White House, he wanted her to take the backdoor entrance to prevent information leaking about potential candidates and the vetting process. He later said, It tickled her that I had to smuggle her into the White House. She liked that, and I liked the fact that she had a sense of humor. In the 2018 documentary titled RBG, he shared about this meeting at the White House, saying, I wanted to see how her mind worked. So I engaged her in this conversation, and all of a sudden, I wasn't the president interviewing her for the Supreme Court anymore. We were two people having an honest conversation about what's the best way in the moment and for the future to make law. Literally within 15 minutes, I decided I was going to name her. She was confirmed by the Senate into her position with an astounding vote of 96 to 3. Regardless of your political views, Ruth has paved the way for a more equal nation. As Bill Clinton put it, Ruth Bader Ginsburg cannot be called a liberal or a conservative. She has proved herself too thoughtful for such labels. Having experienced discrimination, she devoted the next 20 years of her career to fighting it and making this country a better place for our wives, our mothers, our sisters, and our daughters. Although she's best known for her advocacy for women's rights, she said, I think that men and women, shoulder to shoulder, will work together to make this a better world. Just as I don't think that men are the superior sex, neither do I think women are. In the summer of 1999, Ruth was diagnosed with colorectal cancer. During her treatment, she didn't miss a day at work on the bench. It was at this time that she started working with her personal trainer, Bryant Johnson. She started with wall push-ups, progressed to knee push-ups, and now at the age of 86, she busts out two sets of 10 standard push-ups. Bryant said that she works just as hard in the gym as she does on the bench, calling her tough as nails. 10 years later, she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. She had surgery to remove the tumor and returned to work two and a half weeks later. In the 2018 documentary, she spoke about her cancer experience, saying, What it has left me with is an enhanced appreciation of the joys of being alive. Ruth is well known for her stylish collars and her monumental descents. The standard judge's robe was historically made for a man, leaving a place for the shirt and tie to show. So Ruth and Sandra Day O'Connor started wearing collars over their robes, as they are, quote, something typical of a woman. According to Karen Carbo, author of In Praise of Difficult Women, her day-to-day collar is from Cape Town, South Africa, featuring white lace and beads. For majority opinions, she wears a woven gold collar with dangly beads given to her by her law clerks. 
She sports a black velvet and gold jeweled collar on the days she reads the dissenting opinion. A dissent is an opinion in a legal case written by one or more judges expressing disagreement with the majority opinion of the court. The dissent may disagree with the majority for any number of reasons, such as a different interpretation of the existing case law, the application of different principles, or a different interpretation of the facts. The authors of the book Notorious RBG, The Life and Times of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Erin Carmen, and Shana Nisnik said, announcing a majority opinion in the court chamber is custom, but reading aloud in dissent is rare. It's like pulling the fire alarm, a public shaming of the majority that you want the world to hear. When Sandra Day O'Connor retired in 2006, Ruth was the only woman on the court for three lonely years, until Sonia Sotomayor was appointed in 2009. It was around this time that Ruth began reading more dissents. Sharing in the 2018 documentary, she said, Of course I prefer to be in the majority, but if necessary, I will write separately in dissent. In June 2010, Marty died of cancer. Before passing away, he left a note for her that read, My dearest Ruth, you are the only person I have loved in my life, setting aside a bit parents and kids and their kids. And I have admired and loved you almost since the day we first met at Cornell some 56 years ago. What a treat it has been to watch you progress to the very top of the legal world. Her children, Jane and James, told her that she had to show up in court the day after Marty died, as it was the last day of the 2010 term. And so she went to work, wearing a dark ribbon in her hair. Jane said, My father would certainly not have wanted her to miss the last days on the bench on account of his death. As a tribute to Marty, she keeps the folded American flag from his burial site on the windowsill in her chambers. Cancer has had a big impact on Ruth's life. Her mother died of cancer, her husband died of cancer, and she's a cancer survivor herself. The authors of Notorious RBG said, People who had counted her out when she had cancer were wrong, both times. People who thought she couldn't go on after the death of Marty Ginsburg, her husband of 56 years, were wrong too. RBG still showed up to do the work of the court without missing a day. In 2013, Ruth became the first Supreme Court justice to officiate a same-sex wedding. That same year, co-author of Notorious RBG, Shana Nisnik, a New York University law student at the time, created the Notorious RBG Tumblr page as a digital tribute to Ruth. NPR correspondent Nina Totenberg said, It's an amazing thing to see somebody in her 80s become such an icon. Ruth Bader Ginsburg quite literally changed the way the world is for American women. And a couple years ago, Ruth said, I'm 84 years old and everyone wants to take a picture with me. But she claimed with a smile that she doesn't use her smartphone for selfies. In Notorious RBG, Erin and Shayna said, Ruth has survived tragedies and calamities. People have found her somber, but it's sometimes because her humor is so deadpan dry that it escapes many. But when she was shown Kate McKinnon's depiction of her on Saturday Night Live on the 2018 documentary, she smiled, laughed, and said it's marvelously funny. In November 2018, Ruth fell in her office at the Supreme Court and was hospitalized with three fractured ribs. She returned to work after one day of observation, but her CT scans showed cancerous nodules in her lungs. The next month, she underwent surgery to remove the nodules. On January 7, 2019, she missed an oral argument for the first time since joining the court more than 25 years earlier. She returned to work on February 15th, which was her first appearance in court since her surgery in December. Although Ruth has experienced health challenges over the years, she's not ready to retire, saying, When I forget the names of cases that I once could recite at the drop of a hat, I will know. I have said many times that I will do this job as long as I can do it full steam. And when I can't, that will be the time. I will step down. 
As we now know, Ruth is an incredibly hard worker and has been for a long time. She was even the treasurer of the Go-Getters Club in high school. In a 2015 interview, she said, I just tried to do the good job that I have to the best of my ability, and I really don't think about whether I'm inspirational. I just do the best I can. According to the notorious RBG, the mantra in her chambers is get it right and keep it tight, because she believes there needs to be clarity in the court opinions being presented to help the public understand the decisions of the court. As a person who has little to no knowledge of the intricacies of the legal system, I really appreciate this perspective. I'm not an expert in the law, but I do want to know, in layman's terms, how the law can and will impact my life. I think she's gained so much popularity because she fights for things she cares about, in a way that leads others to join her. She also doesn't believe in reacting in anger or annoyance when others are thoughtless and unkind. She rises above that in order to work towards creating positive change in our society. And I really admire her for this quality. Let us learn from her by taking a step back when we experience anger and annoyance. Let us not be burdened by those feelings, but instead inspired by the idea that we can create positive change by rising above and moving forward. Ruth once said that the law is a consuming love for her, but there are other things in life that also bring her joy. One of her former clerks said, she's very disciplined, but she has passions that she really enjoys. She loves the opera. Ruth said, when I'm at an opera, I get totally carried away. I don't think about the case that's coming up next week or the brief that I'm in the middle of. I'm overwhelmed by the beauty of the music, the drama, and the sound of the human voice. It's like an electric current going through me. While researching for this episode, I learned that the term super diva that's often associated with Ruth is a tribute to her passion for the opera. On November 12, 2016, Ruth played a non-singing role, the Duchess of Krakentorp, in an opera titled The Daughter of the Regiment. She said, they gave me the script and I rewrote it with the lines that fit me. And I think it's important for all of us, no matter how much we love our work, to have other things in our lives that bring us joy and purpose. Even though Ruth is incredibly busy, she carves out time to attend the opera. Participating in your passions is a form of self-care, so make sure you set aside time each week to do them. Most people describe Ruth to be shy and contained and Marty as the life of the party. Even though they were quite different personality-wise, they fell in love with each other's minds, sharing what she called an intense intellectual and emotional connection. According to Ruth, many of the girls who attended Cornell suppressed how smart they were. She said, meeting Marty was by far the most fortunate thing that ever happened to me. Marty was so confident of his own ability, so comfortable with himself, that he never regarded me as any kind of threat. So when the Supreme Court seat became available, Marty helped Ruth get noticed. And Judge Harry Edwards said, he was so in love with his wife and so respected her as a real giant in the legal profession, he felt it would be an outrage if she wasn't seriously considered. And at her Supreme Court confirmation hearing, she said, I would surely not be in this room today without the determined efforts of men and women who kept dreams of equal citizenship alive, and I have the great good fortune to share life with a partner truly extraordinary for his generation. A man who believed at age 18 when we met that a woman's work, whether at home or on the job, is as important as a man's. I became a lawyer because Marty supported that choice unreservedly. After he passed away, she said, Marty was always my best friend. He always made me feel like I was better than I thought I was. Hearing their story is truly inspiring because even today in 2019, there are stigmas around women making more money than their husbands. And I don't know if Ruth actually made more money than Marty, but I do know that he prioritized her career. According to 2016 data from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, 29% of American wives in heterosexual dual-income marriages earn more than their husbands. 
and a study published by the American Psychological Association in 2013 found that a man's self-esteem was impacted when his female counterpart outperformed him, whereas women were unaffected by their partner's success. I think our society needs to take a page out of Ruth and Marty's book and start seeing spouses as equals regardless of gender. As we have learned, Ruth has experienced sexism throughout her life as a student, lawyer, professor, and judge. When she graduated at the top of her class and struggled to find a job, author Karen Carbo said, it was a discriminatory trifecta, Jewish, woman, mother. Ruth lived in a time when people believed that women belonged in the home, and only men were meant to be lawyers and judges. In her first argument before the Supreme Court, she said, sex classifications imply a judgment of inferiority. The sex criterion stigmatizes when it is used to protect women from competing for higher-paying jobs and promotions. It assumes that all women are preoccupied with home and children. These distinctions have a common effect. They help keep women in her place, a place inferior to that occupied by men in our society. Ruth believes that women belong in all places where decisions are being made. And at her Supreme Court confirmation hearing, she said she hoped to see more women of different complexions on the high court bench. This hope of hers came true, as she currently sits alongside Sonia Sotomayor and Elena Kagan. Ruth once said, I think gender discrimination is bad for everyone. It's bad for men. It's bad for children. Having the opportunity to be part of that change is tremendously satisfying. Think of how the Constitution begins. We the people of the United States in order to form a more perfect union. But we're still striving for that more perfect union. And one of the perfections is for we the people to include an ever-enlarged group. She believes that all people, regardless of gender or race or sexual orientation, are worthy of freedom and justice in America. Feminist Gloria Steinem said, Ruth's work made me feel as if I was protected by the U.S. Constitution for the first time. She really is, when you come right down to it, the closest thing to a superhero I know. Embrace who you are and those around you. Love yourself fiercely and those you come in contact with. Pursue your dreams and make the world a better place. To make this show, I spend hours and hours each week researching, writing, recording, and editing. I know you've probably heard it before, but your positive feedback will help people find my show. So if you like what you hear, it would mean so much to me if you could take a few minutes of your time and leave me a rating and review. Thank you so much for your support. Although I'm sharing the life stories of these strong and influential women, you may notice that some details have been left out. I mention this because I want you to know that I've chosen to highlight specific parts of their stories, because the content has been planned to help you reap the most benefit out of listening to this episode. If you find yourself wanting to learn more about these women, I'm planning to share bonus content on Patreon very soon. If you want to get in touch, you can email me at shesocoolpod at gmail.com. You can also see the show notes, sign up for email updates, and provide episode suggestions on shesocoolpod.com. I want to build a community together, and you can join by following along on Instagram at shesocoolpod, where I post beautiful illustrations, inspiring quotes, and more. The cover art was created by Gabrielle Bourgeois, and the music was created by Broke for Free.